people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome back to Kidney Talk. We're here for another week. We're going to have a lot of fun today because our topic is, you know, the humor and how humor, you know, helps you get through this awful disease. Laughter is the best medicine. Stephen. It is. It is. We laugh a lot in this show. <laughs> we do. <laughs> So, you crack I mean, me up. Well, what, is, what is like one of your favorite jokes that helps you? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot. I, God, um, okay, let me try this one. Knock, knock. Who's there? Phyllis. Phyllis who? Phyllis up a glass. That's your joke? That, that's a kidney joke because that's it's the only the, joke I can think uh, of. I know it's really lame. That's clean. That's the only well, joke I, I, I have one. There's these uh, two guys that are in a bar and they're both Irish and they overhear each other talking and they can, you know, identify with the accent. And one says to the other one, who well, I can tell you're not from around here. Where might you be from? He goes, I'm from Ireland. He goes, oh, my God, I'm from Ireland, too. He says, what city are you from in Ireland? He says, I'm from Dublin. He says, I can't believe it. I'm from Dublin, too. <laughs> he says, what a coincidence. He says, what what school did you go to? What high school did you go to in, in, in Dublin? He says, I went to Shamrock High. He goes, I, gosh, I don't believe it. I went to Shamrock High, too. And another fella comes into the bar, and he says to the bartender, hey, Joe, what's new? Anything happening? He goes, no, the McKinsey twins are drunk again. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's much better than my joke. Well, I would yours say. was short and sweet. So, but, yeah, uh, I mean, anyway, I can't remember jokes. We so. have people who are really funny. Yes. <laughs> I don't even we, know why I'm trying here. <laughs> we are going to be talking with comedian and hit show, game show host. Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal, Howie Mandel. We're going to be talking to him a little later in the show. Right after we come back, we'll be talking with Howie Mandel. I can't wait. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. If you'd like to receive information and materials regarding transplantation, join the Transplant Experience Program by calling 1-877-482-7627. When you enroll, you'll receive a free transplant information kit, including a resource journal and your own copy of this video, Sharing the Experience. The Transplant Experience Program provides information, tools, resources, and inspiration to patients at every stage of the transplant process all free of charge. Call 877-482-7627 today and join Transplant Experience, sponsored by Estellas. Don't worry. Be happy. 
happy. I give you my phone number. When you worry, call me. I make you happy. Oh, I am so excited. I have my old friend here. Howie Mandel, you're not very old, though, are you? Well, I'm. I well, not to the show. No, I'm no. new to the show. Welcome to Kidney old Talk. Old to friend. It's great to be part of Kidney Talk. I have never done Kidney Talk. I did. I was on uh, Prostate Productions about two and a half weeks ago, and yes. uh, that was a pain in the. You know, from <laughs> Kidney Talk, this should be. I just changed agents a week and a half ago, yes. and this is the first. Show he got me on. The book. So I'm very excited. <laughs> Things are really going well for me. I'm on Kidney Talk. You know what? We have so many questions we want to ask you. I, I first, you know, for the audience, you know, everybody knows who you are. Right. But tell us but about... But they don't know how I feel about kidneys. <laughs> no, Nobody's that's, knows. that's why we're here. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I really... Tell us about the early Howie. Early Howie, like this morning, or no, no. like Howie is in childhood. I'm from Toronto, Canada. I grew up in normal suburban middle class uh, beginnings. No inkling of show business. Everything I get, I was ever punished for, hit for, or expelled for, is what I seem to get paid for today. I had no idea that this would turn into a career. This is 180 degrees from where I ever dreamed I would be in the what I where I live. And what I do for a living, this is nothing I had expected. Were, were you were you funny back then? No, you know how the you know that saying there's a time and a place for everything. This it was never the time or the place for me. So I, you know, it, it, when I tell stories now, they might seem like they were funny, but nobody thought I was funny when I was a child. They, uh, you know, I was kind of uh, a, a little bit of an outcast. I was the smallest kid. I was the uh, I was kind of awkward. I wasn't good at sports. And um, my sense of humor and sensibility was not... I wasn't the class clown. You know, I would do things. I love Hidden Camera, and I still do that kind of stuff today. I would, I would do things to make people feel awkward. I'd be um, entertained by their uh, response to awkward situations rather than the... Uh, that's the banker calling with an offer. <laughs> yes. No deal. <laughs> no deal. And, 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 and that's the kind of things I did. Practical jokes more than, and you know that, Steve, better than anybody else because yes, we work together in St. Elsewhere, and that's, that's where my sensibility lies. As a child, it was never funny, and there weren't other people in on the joke. It was just entertaining myself. And I can't tell you how many times my wife, my mom, everybody in my family always said, well, who's the joke on? Like, if you're not telling anybody you're doing the joke, and I would just entertain myself. Were your parents embarrassed by you? I think they were embarrassed by me, but but at the same time, they have a great sense of humor. So after the fact, with the distance and time from whatever it was I did, they would realize that it was funny. But at that moment, you know, embarrassing situations are always, for me, the funniest. How did the thought process go when you sing, I'm going to leave Canada, I'm going to go to Hollywood? Well, that was, uh, it, it wasn't that easy. You know, I went, uh, there was a comedy club in Canada that opened up in the mid-70s called Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. And uh, that became the rage on like a Friday or Saturday night for um, people of my age in your early 20s to rather, I didn't like dancing and I didn't like disco and I didn't, you know, I wasn't really into that. So I, a comedy club opened up where we can go and watch stand-up comics. And that was like the beginning of the, the, the whole rise of stand-up comedy, which became the trend in the, from the early to mid-70s all the way through the beginning of the 80s. And we heard about this club. It was pretty inexpensive to go to. And in, locally in all different cities all over America and Canada, you can go to these clubs and see stand-up, unknown stand-up comics. 
and it was just fun. And I went on a on a Friday night and saw and w with uh, my future wife, who is now my wife, Terry. And we just had the best time. And we heard, you know, we hadn't seen this kind of language. You know, outside of TV, there was no cable TV. You know, the language was kind of harsh. We felt like we were living on the edge going to these, these clubs, kind of like what I would imagine in the 50s when you went to beatnik clubs. And then they, they announced that on uh, Friday night or on the next Monday night, there would be an amateur night. I thought it would be fun to kind of put together an act and invite all my friends. And I invited all my friends. And I went to the club. And the guy who owned the club, Mark Breslin, said, why don't you come back and you can do, start doing regular spots. But I had no aspirations, really, to become a professional stand-up comic. I thought it was a great club to go to, and I did it, and I worked during the day, and whatever I was doing, I had carpet stores. So I was in the carpet business. So you sold carpets? Yes, I sold, I sold carpets. So, But, you know, it was just a great, like, people go play racquetball after work or go play tennis after work. You know, this was my thing. I would go to the comedy club and, and do that, never dreaming, you know, coming from suburban Canada, so far from Hollywood, not really being up on show business. I, I didn't care if I ever made a living in it. It was just a fun place to go, and there was also a group of young people that were all interested in the same kind of thing. It was a great club. And uh, I happened to, in 77, come out to California just on a, on a business trip on another matter, having nothing to do with show business. And we all came out here, and because I had gone to these comedy clubs in Canada, the ultimate in comedy clubs was the comedy store. But I had no interest in really going and performing in California, but I heard the comedy store having been a fan of The Tonight Show and watching Johnny Carson, that's where Robin Williams would be and Steve Martin would be and Richard Pryor would be. So I went as a tourist on Sunset Boulevard where we were staying, walked over to the comedy store to go see all the big stars and people I kind of admired. And again, as luck would have it, it was amateur night. And nobody of any note was there that particular night, but they said, if you want to sign up and go on, and I thought it might be, my friends dared me <laughs> to go up because I had done it in Toronto, and I said, well, you know what, I'm 3,000 miles away from home, if I make a fool of myself, it won't hurt to make a fool of myself 3,000 miles away from home. And I get up, and I do basically nothing. And, and there was a guy in the audience, his name is George Foster, and he comes up to me after my little three minutes you had, and he said, are you interested in doing television? I thought... This is so cliche Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, like we're having an ice cream soda at the Schwab's. Right. Um, and I wasn't even wearing a tight sweater that night. <laughs> and, and, he said, and I said, yes. And he says, here's my card. Come to my office tomorrow. And it was KTLA on Sunset Boulevard. And they were doing this comedy game show called Make Me Laugh. And in his office, the game show, the premise was you had 60 seconds to make somebody laugh. And for every second they didn't laugh, they won money. And he had me do it in his office, and I did it in his office with his secretary, and he said, that's great, we need somebody tomorrow, are you going to be in town? I go, yeah. And they did, they, the next day, he said, what do you want to do? How do you want to make people laugh? And, you know, I said, well, yeah, maybe if I do something weird with, like, a mannequin's arm, and maybe if I do that. So I ordered all these props, and he gave me all these props, I didn't have an act, and I showed up, and I was in a TV studio, actually taping this TV show, and it was the most spectacular event of my life, I mean, to go home to Canada. And, and to tell my friends, I can believe this, we went out to L.A. on this business trip, and I got a TV show, and I did this TV show. It didn't air. <laughs> Nobody believed it, you. It didn't that. air in Canada, and, and it was great. And I thought that, that's going to be it, and that'll be, like, a great story to tell. It airs. It airs here in California, and I don't know how many states it was syndicated. It was on KTLA. And um, people saw it. I get a call in Toronto from the Mike Douglas show. They want me to come on and do you know, five minutes, and then I got a call from Merck Griffin, they want me to come on, and I kept flying back and forth and doing these little little spots, put together these little five-minute spots, but 
What was oh. the feeling then? I mean, it must have been, oh my God, you can't believe this is happening to you. I couldn't believe it was happening, and Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas were staples of that day, you know, and you know, I had seen them and watched them, and my mom watched them at home, and I, I didn't think I'd ever be part of them, nor was I chasing that dream, mm-hmm. you know, and then so many things kept coming one after another uh, that I said to Terry, my wife, my wife-to-be, we were engaged to be married, you know what, we're young. Why don't we take a shot? Maybe, maybe if I was living in Los Angeles, I'd get more. Let me sell this business. I'm a great salesman. I can always fall back on sales or retail or whatever I'm doing. Let's make the move. And I feel pretty lucky and blessed that she said, okay, that'll be fun. You know, and uh, we told her parents who... Um, um, the reaction? Defi- <laughs> defiance first. They hated me. Um, they tried to call off the wedding. Uh, my parents have always been very supportive. Their parents, I, I understand that now, having two daughters myself. I, I don't think I'd be thrilled about my daughter leaving and going 3,000 miles away from me with some guy who's going to provide by putting a rubber glove on his head. <laughs> so, you know, and I took off, and as luck would have it, I'm on, you know, I made it to kidney talk. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, you've done so much since those days, obviously. You know, St. Elsewhere. With and you. you starred in several movies. Right. Uh, Bobo the Dog Boy. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Out of everything. And, uh, you know, everything you've done, I've been a big fan of. But I remember, this is kind of uh, personal, the first time I saw you, I didn't know you. I didn't right. know who you were or anything. I was, I was, you were a regular on St. Elsewhere and I was just a guest. I, I only had two scenes. I right. wasn't a regular on, on St. Elsewhere at the time. And I walk in and I saw this guy. Do you know what you were wearing? No, I don't. I, what I do, my list of outfits over the last 20 years, I put in another room. So I don't have the, I don't know. I remember, exa- I saw this guy with this long mane of curly black hair. And he was wearing red overalls, bright red overalls. And one of the straps was disconnected. And I was thinking, this can't be a crew member. No crew member is going to be wearing red overalls. It's got to be one of the actors. And I whispered to somebody, I said, who is that? And I said, oh, that's Howie Mandel. He plays Dr. Fiscus. And I said, oh, I, I had heard of you, but I didn't know what you looked like. So right. that was my first sighting, my Howie Mandel sighting. Right. So uh, I, I, did, just, I don't know how to answer that, but yes, I, I did wear red overalls a lot. Yes. I'm colorblind, and red is one of the few colors. Bright red is one of Are the Are you really colors. colorblind? Yes, I am. Really? really? Yes. I don't know if that has any. So, can you tell kidneys. if somebody's black or white? I mean, or is no, that. I don't think that's what that means. I think it's like purple and blue. I think it's red, green. No, I've never seen African American people, but they've been described to me, and I hear they're, they're wonderful. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's. It's red, green. I can't see reds and greens. Oh, I red mean, and green. So, I always wear bright red because I can tell bright red. That's a big color. Now, I don't have to because I've reached a, an age and a level where I can afford animals. <laughs> what about traffic lights, Howie? I know the top one's red. What are some of the things that you do if you have to come up with a, you know, you have to get on stage and be funny. Is there anything that you do or that, you know, people out there who are maybe feeling a little depressed, what they could do to, um, you know, lighten up their day? Is there something that you do? Well, I think a sense of humor, you know, the word uh, b- bigger than humor is a sense. You know, you have to sense where the humor is. And I think there's humor in everything, whether it's tragedy right or whether it's adversity, or whether, you know, any situation. And if you, can, if you can know that it's there, deep in your heart, and kind of find the humor mm-hmm. for yourself, I think it makes life a little easier. Some people may not know some of the other things you do. 
Oh, you know, like you do a lot of voices, cartoon voices. Yeah, I was Skeeter on the Muppet Babies and Animal on the Muppet Babies and Bobby, obviously, in Bobby's World. And I'm the voice of Gizmo in all the right. You know, I, I heard that down. Gizmo, it's my you know. And you were this stuffed animal. Do you, do you have Gizmo dolls? I have a Gizmo doll right yeah. here as we speak, and we'll show it. Here it is, right here on this. <laughs> oh, it's per- it looks so. It looks so much like you. Your listeners, this is good. It's I want to know. And look at this. And I'd like to. After we finish this question, I'd like to do a magic trick also a magic for, the, trick. for the listeners. For the, for the listeners. Is it a card trick? <laughs> yes. Is this your card? Yes! Oh my God, Howie, how did you know? When we come back, more with funny man Howie Mandel. What's the secret ingredient for delicious yet healthier meals? Why, Mrs. Dash seasoning blends, of course. The 12 varieties of Mrs. Dash are all made up with a unique blend of 14 natural herbs and spices to make side dishes snap, potato pop, and dinner stays unbelievable. And since Mrs. Dash has always been salt-free with no MSG, you can create great-tasting meals full of only one thing, mouth-watering flavor. Here's an easy-to-make, healthy recipe idea. Coat some boneless chicken breast in a mixture of Parmesan cheese, breadcrumbs, and Mrs. Dash Original Blend. Saute in extra virgin olive oil until done. Then give a small squeeze of fresh lemon juice and serve over your favorite pasta. Doesn't that sound good? Well, for more information, visit MrsDash.com. Mrs. Dash, salt-free, flavorful. Cause when you're worried, your face will frown And that will bring everybody down So don't worry Be happy Don't worry, be happy now I want to know Today's comics Top three funniest people Other than yourself Out of today's comics and new comics? I, I don't know the or, new or, or just uh, how about anybody then? Well, uh, for me, the the my my personal favorites were um, Richard Pryor, who I watched uh, work and hone his craft, and also taught me the uh, the uh, discipline of comedy of, of working it out. You know, he used the comedy store as a gymnasium, and I used to go there every night when he was working out live on Sunset and all his concert films, and you'd watch him come with the seed of an idea. And then and then hone it every night into until it became a brilliant piece of art, and uh, and he was a great wordsmith and character smith and and he's just absolutely brilliant. So uh, the Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Steve Martin, I admire. I mean, one of the most brilliant people in comedy, and he's uh, just so. Uh, I miss his stand-up. He's not. He doesn't do stand-up anymore. But he was the first guy that created a character. And, and where you could watch him and I would laugh hysterically and the next day try to describe to my friends what had happened and they wouldn't get it. You know, the old nose on the microphone routine. And it was funny because there was nothing to it, but that was hard to explain and you just had to see him him perform. And uh, Woody Allen as a stand-up, I don't know, that's years and years ago, but if you listen to his stand-up, he also had a persona and a character and he was just uh, wonderful. It's funny, last night uh, on Netflix I had rented... Old Dick Cavett shows, right? And Woody Allen was the guest. Yeah, he, and, he, and he, he was. He was. He, no, he was uh, very funny. I can't believe how skinny he is. 
I mean, he is just like oh, he's a little guy. Yeah, but he was very funny last night, and this was uh, 1969. Yeah, I used to watch him also on the Tonight Show. He'd do stand up set, and then he'd sit down and talk to Johnny about how tough it is being a sex symbol. Yeah, and he'd just <laughs> make me laugh hysterically. So on on the new show, Deal or No Deal, right? Um, waiting for a transplant, a kidney transplant. I waited for my third one for seven years. I think it's kind of interesting as we were talking about Stephen and I, maybe we should have a show called Kidney or No Kidney because so many people are waiting for transplants out there. But one of the things I noticed with you on the show is you're the eternal optimist. Right. I mean, they have like, <laughs> um, and I think that you have but to have that as an illness. Everything that happens in your life or every uh, thing that you could be presented with has a positive side right? or has another side. And it's just there. And there are people in life that aren't suffering from illness that, that never see that. Right. And it's, you know, the glass is always half empty. But you have to find the, where the glass is half full. And you also yeah. have to find, this, if you can find the sense of humor, if you can sense the humor in it and the funny in it, in the moments, in the most darkest moments, then that'll just help you. That's like a great uh, medication for getting through humor. But short of that, there's always got to be a positive Yes, adversity right. introduces you to yourself. And even if it takes you, <laughs> even if it takes you, kind of exploring the darkest, how it could even be darker. Right. Then the positive is how you're not at that point yet. Yeah, I always say to myself, you know, the harder you're thrown, the higher you bounce. Right. And, um, you know, living with an illness since two. Unless uh, you're overweight. And then if you're thrown, <laughs> then it hurts a lot. No, you, you bounce just, higher. You know, Come on. You, you don't, don't bounce. You that's, bounce. A, that's a myth. <laughs> Fat people don't bounce. They don't. They just clunk. But you float. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, that's true. You do float. Yeah, it's... um. When I wrote my book, Chronically Happy, mm-hmm. um, I kind of go around and tell people I'm chronically happy, damn it, because I think you have to find a persistence about um, choosing to be happy in life. Right. And um, Well, happiness is definitely a choice. It doesn't just happen. And a lot of people, and that's uh, to me, that's success in life. The success is being happy and right. content with whatever your choices are and wherever you are in life. And I think that is a choice, to be happy, because you have to choose to be you know, I think there isn't anybody that goes through life, regardless of their health or whatever, that doesn't have any adversity right. you thrown at them. It's you know, you live so long relative. enough, horror is going to happen to you. Exactly. So you life have is to, hard. It is. <laughs> Shit happens. What makes you depressed? I mean, do you get depressed? Yeah, and it's a fight to not be depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could. It's a thing. Life is scary, and things can happen. Being a parent, and you know, you're only as happy. You're only as happy as your saddest child. You know, as a parent, so if things are tough for them, you know, Absolutely. it's, it's twice as tough for you as a parent. You know, one of the questions I had for you, and we we're talking about kids now, is when your kids were sick. I know that when when my kids were like really sick or something, and I, and they were crying, and and I just felt like there's nothing I could do for them. Did your humor help them get over those times? Well, that's what I try to work with. That's the easiest thing and the most uh, natural thing for me. I try. You know, and sometimes I don't feel it inside, but I try to use humor to make the moment go by a little bit easier for myself and those around me and who's ever suffering and if it's a child. So humor has always been, you know, a great medicine, you know, and people have always said laughter is a great medication for whatever. So, um... It actually helps you. I mean, I know in times when I was in the hospital, you know, I'd watch a funny movie or some different movies. I mean, you don't have to take pain medication. It just makes you feel better, and you know. But sometimes it's hard to find the laughter 
when you're you're down and out. Um, it's hard for people to find the laughter when things are going great. Yes. You know, so you can imagine when you're down and out, but you can always there is it's there, it, and that's why it's called a sense of mm-hmm. humor. You have sense. to sense it. You know, it's not there in front of you. Nobody's going to hold up a sign saying this is funny or wouldn't it be funny if, or you know, you have to find it. But if you are sure that it's there and you and you take some energy and you start looking for it, you'll find it, and that gets people through. So, so what's it like to be on a number one game show right now? Deal or no deal? It's I mean, huge. it's so much fun it, to this watch. This is absolutely huge for me. I mean, I had no idea. I said no to it when I said no to Deal or No Deal when it was offered to me. I didn't want to be a game show host. I just thought that that was the the last exit from anybody's career. I mean, I know, I know, because I'm in the same business you are. When someone says, do you want to do a game show or host a game show, you know, you think, well, I'm not getting an acting job, so my God, <laughs> they're offering me a game show, and then it turns around to be the hugest hit on NBC, and you're on like... On, on, you know, every night it's on, it beats the whole night on all the networks, you know, and, and what the... I had no idea. My wife actually made me do it. It was pitched to me. Really? So Terry was, was uh, you didn't want to do it? I said no. And then when it was pitched, she heard the pitch, and what they were allowing me was what she responded to. And they wanted somebody who could act, because they were fans of St. Elsewhere, so they wanted somebody that in the moments could act dramatic and create tension, maybe, or expand the tension that already existed. They wanted somebody who in the moment could be improvised and be funny in front of a live audience. And they wanted somebody who could be a host and interview people and maybe talk to them and flesh out who they were so the audience would get a chance to know them, which I had done on a talk show. So all these different elements and and portions of my career, which I enjoyed individually, they were giving me a platform to maybe do that all in one venue. So she said, go for it. I thought this is either going to work and maybe I'll have a job, but I could end up being the laughing stock of show business. As luck would have it, it's taken off. But that's through no, I'd love to be able to sit here and say, I knew it. I knew it would be huge. I had no idea. Now, this was a show in Europe, as I It's in 41 countries. It's a huge hit wherever it plays. It's, you know, it it really is a a real study in humanity. It's funny. I got to tell you this. I was, uh, I I direct films in in Bulgaria. Right. And I was there and I was watching Bulgarian television. And they have a game show there. And it's very dramatic. It's, you know, uh, but it's, it's, they're peeling an apple. Right. And they, they got to peel the entire apple without breaking the skin, and then they win some money. Right. And I just thought, I don't think that would play in America, peeling vegetables <laughs> and, and apples. It might. It's so silly Maybe on that fruit it might. Talk. But Maybe and they on would fruit talk. Yeah, fruit talk. <laughs> but they they would uh, you know uh, focus on on like uh, the family members like you guys have on right. No Deal, and they'd all be like biting their nails whether this peel could not break. Until they finished the entire hour. It was a low-budget show. Right. Obviously. <laughs> but, um, now, you know, I find the show interesting because people seem to be greedy on the show. And I think maybe that might be their demise. That is the demise of anybody. You know, if you let your emotions and your greed overtake... You know, this game could be played by a moron and people could walk out of there with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Really, it's just odds. You know, and if you have you know, four huge amounts left in play and one case to open, then don't take the deal and go on because the odds are good. If you have one, you know, two cases to open and there's only one huge amount left, you know, if you want to take the risk and be greedy and keep your eye on the highest amount that's there, you know, then maybe luck will be with you, but, you know, and you can maybe go for it. But the odds are against you. And that's greed. But if you're going to play it safe and get out when you have, you know, one 
one amount left and two cases to open, even if that one amount is a million dollars or five million dollars, I personally wouldn't go for it. And I think the inventor of the game would tell you, you know, you don't go for it. Take what's offered. So, so there is a strategy to playing this game. It's not just a skill. I mean, it's not just there a is luck. No I mean, it's, there is a strategy to it, though. Well, the strategy in, the in playing is, is take the money that's being offered to you when, when it looks like you can't get... As soon as you want luck to work for you, or you want to, as soon as it, 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 it smells like risk, get out. Right. Unless you want to take a risk. So it must be frustrating. I mean, I guess you don't get attached, but you see some of these people. No, I do you, get attached. You know, first and foremost, I'm a do, human being. I'm a You get attached to them. Like, come Absolutely. On, come on, Absolutely. Like, I talk to them. You tell me, like, take the money. Come I on, can't. take. No, you can't. No, I can't sway them because I don't really know what's in their case, and I don't know what's in any case, and I don't want them to make a decision based on me. But I do know, having talked to them, that they, they, they've never owned a home. Right. They're in debt. They have three children. They don't have money for college. And I've offered you $86,000. When does anybody have a lump sum of $86,000 right. just offered to them? And they're going, no deal. And I look at the board and this risk. And then I feel like going, you know, come on, you gotta come do on. This. Yeah, you're being a moron here. Take the money. I can't, right. but I feel like saying that. Well, I was born in Las Vegas, so I know for a fact that um, Las Vegas is made because people think they're going to take home all the money. Well, I always say that. People go to Vegas thinking, I got a system, I'm going to win. Well, they didn't build those buildings exactly. based on all those light systems. Bills. And if there was a, a, a foolproof system, then we would all know it. And they exactly. When, you are, when you're feeling bad, mm -hmm. is there, does laughter help you conquer your illness? Always. Get through it? Always. But that's where naturally I and my family and I have always gone to humor for um, medication first. Is there a movie that you pop on that, that you've seen no, many, we many, many find times? It, no, we just find it mostly in, mm -hmm. in ourselves and what's happening in the situation. And uh, that's just how I was brought up. And that's where we look. I don't have a favorite movie I need to go to, but there's nothing wrong with that for right. somebody else. So you've definitely seen a correlation between humor and healing. I, I think me the medical world has seen a correlation. I don't know if... Mm -hmm. I, that's just how I deal with things, so it's mm -hmm. just easier for me to deal when mm -hmm. I have to deal. When, when, I, you, when you personally feel. don't feel well, is it hard for you to go out and perform and be funny? When you're, when you're not feeling well, physically. Whether, uh, physically or emotionally. But I have to, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm a professional and I get hired. Yes, it's harder. But then I find that if I get, you know, there have been times when I can't even lift my head or I've been on stage with like 102 fever one time and I, and I had, I, I was on the verge of getting, I ended up getting pneumonia and I couldn't, I was in Cleveland someplace and, and I, I had to do a, I couldn't cancel, you know, and those people were waiting and I, and I thought it would be funny just to, I, I ordered a cot and tea and medication and I had the curtain go up and I was lying in bed and I had a humidifier because I couldn't breathe that good and I lied on stage and I did the whole set like that but it was, <laughs> I, I saw the humor in just being ill and yeah. the show must go on and yeah. I was sick, I mean I'd, I'd have like a, a 10 minute coughing fit with not a word just in front of 4,000 people but I and they probably thought it was part of your routine. I got a standing ovation. They were laughing, and it was exciting. And I thought it was funny. And I and I could talk about it Just today. And it, it got me through that night. And it was funny, and it made me feel better. And had I been uh, in my room, in my hotel room, focusing on my ailment, and 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 I probably would have felt a lot worse. It was I had a better time that night and got through the night. And you know I was going to be sick anyhow. So you know. Not, I wouldn't recommend to everybody next time you're feeling deathly ill to put on a concert, but it just so happened. 
Thank you so much, and we're all going to watch Deal or No Deal. Deal or No Deal. Every night on NBC. Don't worry. Be happy. I give you my phone number. When you worry, call me. I make you happy. Was he funny or not, huh? He is hysterical. I know, and I, and you know, I love him on that Deal or No Deal. I really do. You know, I, I love the show. I remember once I was I was flipping the stations, and I said, "Oh, Howie, my friend is on TV. I wonder what this show." I had no idea what the show was about, and I got to tell you, I really got roped in, and I I watch it religiously, so to speak, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on NBC. It's a funny show, and you know, it's so fun to watch the girls that all got all those dresses on, and they walk. I'm amazed he remembers all their names and it's just I a asked great him show. One time, I asked him one time, I said, no, do you have cue cards or or how do you, or do, is there a secret microphone in your ear? And he says, no, he's, he actually memorized their names. Wow. Well, one of the things that I was just so impressed by Howie Mandel is that he... As opposed to the other Howie. Exactly. I mean, one of the guests on his show always referred to him as Howie Mandel. And I think that that's how he needs to be introduced. But it was interesting how he is so perceptive on what is funny. I mean, everybody heard the show, but when you're sitting there with him, he is hysterical. His gestures, his facial manners. Yeah, he's um, one very of the quickest, funny guy. Quickest wits I know. I mean, I remember doing Saint Elsewhere with Howie and Howie said, you know, I'm a stand-up comic. Would you like to come see my act? And I said, sure. And, I, you know, I, I went to his act, and, and he interacts with the audience, and he's so fast and so quick that I was just totally amazed when I first saw him the first time at the comedy stores where I saw him. And it was just so nice of him to share some of his tips on humor and his experience about, you know, you don't always feel good, but the show must go on. That's correct. I love his story about, you know, doing the concert while he's in the hospital bed on stage. I know. Uh, That would be kind of difficult, I think, if you actually, though, an interesting fact, if you had to do dialysis, uh, I don't know if that would be possible. But did you know back when they were trying to find the funding for dialysis, they actually dialyzed a patient before Congress? They put the dialysis machine and everything, and they they showed Congress, look, we can dialyze a patient. So was the patient subpoenaed to be dialyzed? No, they just wanted to show Congress that, look, this was when the history in the days when kidney disease was just being reimbursed and there was a lot of things going on politically. But they wanted to show Congress that dialysis actually kept patients alive. So they dialyzed patient before Congress. So I'm amazed. Another fascinating fact by Lori Hartwell. We're going to have a segment. We'll have a history facts. of dialysis. Wow. So, um, so on I... next week's show, we're going to have another good show next week, and we want everybody to join us, okay? Oh, please do. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference.